You're listening to Japan Baseball Weekly. News, interviews, analysis, and hot takes about all 12 NPB teams. Hosted by Jim Allen and John E. Gibson. Hi, and welcome to the Japan Baseball Weekly Podcast. It's for the week of July 11th. I'm John Gibson, and with me on a Sunday night is my friend and partner, Jim Allen. How you doing, man? Have you recovered from that beating you took last week on the show? Um... <laughs> uh... Did I? There you go. <laughs> Excellent. I, I don't remember no beating. I don't either. Unless it was, unless it was the 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 late great Elmer beating. <laughs> no, and now you've seen him. Okay. No, I I don't think either either one of us threw a hissy fit or anything. So we we got through it. So well, we were we were bordering it. on it. We were getting there. <laughs> Give us enough time. <laughs> we, we, we were going to get to screaming and kicking and calling and name calling. You you were going to be hissy and I was going to be fit. <laughs> it could have been. Could have been. All right. On this week's show, we've got a chat with former Lions, Tigers, and Marine slugger Craig Bazell. We've got the West Wing. We've got more Chikamoto talk, <laughs> and we got some high heat, so let's start swinging. Clearing the bases! All right, so we got a long packed show, so let's get to it right away. I had a chat with Craig Brazell uh, this past week. Craig played in MPB from 2008 to 2014, and yes, I had vivid memories of him with Cebu and the Lions. And then with the Tigers, but I completely <laughs> spaced the fact that he played out his career here in, in MPB with the Lotte Marines. And they're not the, a storied franchise, I wouldn't say, because of Koshien and because of what Cebu did in the 90s with all the championships. But Marines are pretty, they've been a pretty good uh, franchise as well. So it's important to remember that he played there. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was one of the players who would chat with reporters like you, like the late, great. Wayne Grassick, Jason, and with me before games, and he would come out and and we would just shoot the breeze, and and sometimes we would talk about hitting, other times we'd talk about other things. I remember he had an incident on a train with his wife where some fan was talking to him for a while, but then started to say things about his wife and made him very upset. And this is uh, when he was playing with the Lions, so I'm sure he had his share of instances and. Uh, memories here in Japan, but it was really good to hear from him. He is uh, back in his home sweet home of Alabama, near where my father is now living. I think you guys remember my pops is near Birmingham, Alabama, oh, for some reason. I didn't remember <laughs> it was near Birmingham, but that's oh, there yeah. in that area. Yeah, parents are from New Orleans, but for some reason, my dad found himself in Birmingham and he's living out there right now. Um, but Craig, Craig had 133 home runs in MPB, if, if Wikipedia is correct. And you'll hear him tell a story about a night he had a multi-home run game. And you'll hear him talk about all the players with whom he just consulted and, and talked to uh, here in Japan about hitting, about how to play. And I would say Craig is among the leaders with the production and the excitement and the compete level that he brought to MPB as far as being a, a, a foreign player here. And he obviously he has the tiger's garb on his Twitter account. He's his picture. He's wearing tiger's garb. So I think that tells you about the team. He probably most identifies with when uh, he's looking back on his days in MPB, but he is uh, running some Pilates fitness centers. He's chasing slash working with his three sons whose names are all centered around baseball. They're really cool. And uh, they're probably future 
major leaguers or baseball players, I would imagine. So uh, he's keeping an eye on MPB as well. So anyway, let's have a listen to Craig Brazell. All right, joining us on the show this week is Craig Brazell, former Lions and Tigers player. How are you doing, man? It's great to see you. Man, I am doing great. Uh, any better, I don't know what I what else I'd be doing. Um, got a got a great family, uh, good business, and just enjoying life right now. What are you up to these days? Uh, well, I would say that I'm the owner of a chain of Pilates studios here in Alabama, but it's really my wife owns it. <laughs> I'm just the uh, janitor, the uh, hire, well, the fire firing guy. I do all the dirty work. <laughs> but, Man, I told somebody the other day, we think we own stuff, but we don't. <laughs> no, no, we don't. Married, um, I learned married, uh, so. once I retired and got home, it was, uh, honey, could you cook me something? Well, why don't you get up and do it yourself? You got nothing to do. Whoa. <laughs> okay. So I learned where my place was and, uh, but no, yeah. she's, she's great about it. Uh, We've had these Pilates studios now for about six years, um, and it's it's definitely work. Uh, it's I work harder now than I did when I played baseball. Well, geez, and you were just so, playing baseball, man. Come on. <laughs> I know. Everybody thinks just go show up and play a game, and that's it. No, but, no yeah, I, it's, I, it's different. I always tell people, I said, forget all the physical stuff, all the mental preparation and all the oh. studying you guys did to play a baseball game. It, it had nothing to do with playing. Nope. <laughs> all right. Well, bit. you played for two storied franchises in MPV. Uh, what were the obvious differences between those organizations? <sighs> Obviously, you know, starting out, you, when you come to Japan, you pretty much know of two teams the Giants and the Tigers. And uh, getting to start out with the Lions my first year, I think was was very helpful. Getting me uh, kind of acclimated to Japan, the way they do things. And it seemed, uh, I don't know, it's both, it's, it's hard to compare the two because both of them, you'd have sellout crowds every single night. The fans for both are great. Um, I do have to, I, I was in Chiba for two years at the end. So, and that's a totally different fan base. Chiba right. fans are, are crazy, which is, which, it, which was fun my, to finish my career there and everything. Um, but the lions, I would say, I mean, cause my first year there, we won the whole thing. You had a first year manager, a uh, couple first year foreign players there. And it was just a different atmosphere. I've still got connections with a couple families that I met while playing at Cebu. That I mean, wow. I've they've sent me pictures of when we met in 2008 to when now that their son is going off to school to learn acupuncture. I mean, wow. so it, it, it's it's been a big difference. I mean, uh, it's it was a it was a big thrill playing at. at Cebu things just didn't work out after my first year but going to Hanshin I mean everybody everybody in Japan knows Hanshin you're either your Tigers or your Giants fans um I think a lot of it just has to be with the storied history but and I think it's just in a bigger area and that's that's one reason I think Hanshin may be a little bit bigger than Cebu is like we were talking earlier Cebu is 
far out, kind of out in the country. Mm. And you do have to travel a long way to get there. Um, it was fun playing in that stadium. And, but then you go to Hanchen, this, I mean, I guess just the, the Mecca of stadiums in Japan. I mean, the greatest players ever have played there. I mean, you go back from the, from the beginning of Japanese baseball to, I mean, even Babe Ruth and those guys played at Koshin. I mean, so there's, I want to say there's a big difference, but there's very little difference. They're both two very storied franchises that um, have had great runs. You know, uh, Cebu has won more lately than Hanchen has, you know, until that curse, I guess, gets lifted off of Hanchen. No such thing as curses. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, there's, uh, I have to say there is, there is some baseball people out there that I think control things. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Those are the curses. They're people. Yes. <laughs> I'll go for that. <laughs> Very true. All right. So you obviously, uh, I know you don't keep up that closely, but you, you did tweet about the Tigers. I know because that's something that we, had an exchange, and I said, we need to get you on the show. Um, yeah. They had an awful start to this season. They're, they've improved, and they've they've righted the ship here. But how much did you feel for manager uh, Yano when they were going through these tough times earlier in the season? Oh, I hated it for him because, you know, he's, he's a very good baseball person. I mean, Yano, I mean, and for the most part, catchers are great, make great managers anyways. Because they understand the game, they can control the game, and Yano was such a big figure with Hanchen for so long, and I was fortunate to get to play with him. He is one of those people that, when as a as a teammate, unbelievable. He was always there to talk to you, help you out, and I I can only imagine that carried over it for him as a manager. And you hate to see in baseball that that team starts out so bad, and. And obviously, the first thing that's done, the fingers pointed right at Yano. And uh, sometimes there's things you just can't control about baseball. I mean, sometimes every player goes into a slump at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you face a string of just nothing but good pitching, you're not supposed to beat good pitching. I mean, it's just part of the game. I mean, if you could get a lineup of all stars against a lineup. Of, of, of all-star hitters against a lineup of all-star pitchers, pitchers are going to win majority of the time. I mean, that's just the game of baseball. So that's it. It it, it, it stunk seeing what what was going on. Once I found out how bad the Tigers were doing at the beginning, it, I I did feel for Yano. Now you and I we talked about hitting sometimes because we'd have those pregame chats. You were not oh, yeah. like some of the other foreigners. You didn't run into the clubhouse and hide. Yeah you would stand out and talk to us. And I remember you and I were talking about hitting and you said, look, I don't worry so much about pitch location as long as I get the pitch I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. So what went into your approach to hitting? You know, early in my career, it was all over the place, but I will say once I got to Japan and figured out from some of the veteran guys there, you know, talking with, Alex Ramirez a lot. I mean, even Alex Cabrera, Tuffy Rhodes. I had those guys there when I first got there to talk to. 
And it kind of, my thought process changed a little bit because it, it finally clicked with me that it was, okay, let me forget everything I know about baseball and hitting and learn the Japanese way. And then insert what I did best and what I did well into their game. And I think that's what made me successful. And it was, I mean, there were times facing certain pitchers. Yeah, I went up looking for certain pitches, knowing what they were throwing to me. But in my career, I was a bad ball hitter. If, I mean, I going back now, you could throw a fastball right down the middle to me and I'll probably get out 90% of the time. You elevate that fastball, there's a good chance I'm going to hit it. You put it almost in the dirt, then I'm going to hit it. Or even in off the plate or away off the plate, I would hit it. That was just the type of hitter I was. I was not a, I wasn't patient. I mean, I'll say that right now. But, <laughs> but I mean, I, I mean, I had my, my couple big years where, I mean, I did what I did and it worked. And I didn't get all worked up over them not throwing strikes to me and constantly throwing splits and breaking balls and everything like that. It's, it's a game of adjustments. And I think that's the big thing with the Japanese way of the game. I tried to adapt to them instead of them adapting to me. And I think that's where a lot of players that go over there that are a lot of one and dones think they can go over there and just do what they did. No, it, it doesn't work that way. You've got to adjust to their style of play or you're going to be done. Yeah, I always talk to you. You know, I've seen a lot of players now come and go, mm-hmm. and I don't equate not having success in Japan with, with failure and not being able to play. I still mm-hmm. think guys can come over here and maybe not find success and go back home and play because it's just mm-hmm. a different game. And it is it's something, it's something that you're just not used to. I mean, I think right now, I mean, occasionally I'll get a couple Japanese games on TV here and I'm watching it. I would rather watch a Japanese baseball game than a major league baseball game any day of the week because it's traditional. It's pure. It's baseball. Here, I, I I don't think I w- would want my kids watching it. I'd rather them watch Japanese baseball because the guys actually play the game. They're not swinging out their butts, hitting 120, trying to hit home runs every time. I mean, at least over in Japan, they make the adjustment. They adapt. I mean, I was fortunate. I had guys, coaches like Wada, I mean, Mayumi. Kataoka, I mean, those guys that came along and worked with me and made me a better hitter and not only getting to play with, let's see, uh, Kanimoto, Yano, Jojima, Tortani, Arai. I had a lot of really good hitters around me that made me better because I watched what they did and took what, and I mean, I I watched a lot of what Kanimoto did and, and really a lot of what Alex Ramirez did and that's what made me a better hitter. And that's why I think in it, and it's, and I still see it in some of the games that I watch and from Japan, they're still teaching baseball, teaching good hitters. Yeah. I remember <laughs> talking to you about, again, about hitting and um, about some of the players you played with here. And I, I, I think I remembered one of the guys, one of the Japanese players you really admired, but you mentioned a few Japanese players there. Why did you um, admire some of those guys? You know, a lot of them, I mean, um, well, I got to play with them every single day. You know, my teammates, uh, I mean, the, the guys with the Tigers and everything, 
Um, you know, I can even go back to uh, Cebu. You know, I had, they were very young at the time. Nakajima, Kataoka. I mean, those kids. Uh, Nakajima's still playing, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, gosh. <laughs> He's with the Giants, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then, but it also wasn't them. I can throw some names at you. Uh, I loved watching Wada with the uh, Dragons hit. Kazuhiro, yeah. Yeah. And my favorite, I don't care what anybody says, my favorite hitter out of everybody was Ogasawara. Oh, yeah. I loved watching him hit. I mean, he (laughs) just dropped a hammer every swing, and I loved it. I I mean, he was disciplined. He was a great hitter. He was just fun to watch. I mean, and and to say, okay, this guy has a style like I I have. I swing. I swing hard. I attack the baseball. What makes him so good? And watching him and playing against him, I mean, it wasn't that easy to watch him because at first base, I really didn't want many of his balls hit at me because they were hit really hard. <laughs> we used to joke um, about Alex, Alex Cabrera and his fielding. So, yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's just you see those guys and what they do, and it's hard to pick out one little thing they did. It's just as a player you watch. And a little thing may click on from this guy. A little thing may click from this guy. Like uh, Alex Ramirez used to tell me, he goes, hey, hit the ball the other way as much as you possibly can. Then you're going to start getting those pitches out over the plate to yank and pull. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. He goes, if you prove to him you can go the other way, you'll start getting to hit. And it started clicking. That's when, I mean, I think in – 2009 and 2010 and 2011, I might have had just as many home runs to left field as I did right field and center field. And it, it, a lot of it had to do with talking with guys like Ram, with Rammy and, and being fortunate to play with a lot of the play against them and, and with some really good hitters really helped me out. Okay. All right. Last one. Uh, you know, I know you played a lot of games and had some, lo- a lot of memories here in Japan. What's your best one? Oh, I will probably have to say it was in Yokohama the night my son was born out of everything because my wife had gone home and uh, it was my second at bat and I was leading off the inning. I ran in the clubhouse and I had just left my phone on. I mean, it, the I think it was on Skype or whatever because she was in labor so I ran in, I was putting my gloves on, putting everything on, getting ready to go hit. I said, Has, have you had them yet? And they said, no, she hadn't had them. I go up to the plate. I hit a home run. And as I'm coming back in, uh, everybody's giving me high fives and everything like that. And uh, I see my translator, Oki, standing there with my phone. And I find out he had been born while I was hitting. Oh, wow. So it's like seconds from me hitting a home run, him being born. And then, uh, I mean, I was in tears, and Miami was awesome about it. I was in the clubhouse, and we batted around that inning, and I didn't know. And I was just sitting, I'm done. I, there's nothing else. I, can, I, I can't focus. He came up to me and goes, you got another one in you. And I came up again that inning and hit another home run. <laughs> 
I don't and, remember and this. So <laughs> Where it, was it I? Was, <laughs> it, it was an unbelievable night. And I, I will say that's, that's my biggest memory. And I mean, it, it's, I guess it's selfish because it's personal, but, um, that's fine. It, but I will say that, I mean, just because, and then my, Miami even said after the second home run, he goes, you got another one in you. And I'm going, <laughs> huh? what? I mean, we were only in like the, the third or fourth inning. I came up again in the fifth and hit one off the top of the fence in left field uh, and got a double out of it. Then he pinch ran for me, sent me back in the clubhouse. I mean, the guys, had, they had cigars for me. They had, I mean, champagne sent for me. I mean, it, it was, I'll say that was the biggest and most memorable night of, of my whole career. All right. Well, we remember a lot of special nights and always enjoyed talking to you. And, you know, the whole Craig Brazell experience was great. And we miss you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So we'll, we'll have you on again sometime. All right. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Just just catch up with me. I'm, I'm busy as can be, but I'll, I'll try to squeak out some time for you. Definitely. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, man. All right there. So uh, thanks so much, Craig, for taking the time. I know you're busy, so we definitely appreciate it. And I know the listeners appreciate hearing from you as well. Well, man, <laughs> that was so cool. I think you missed a spot in the trash, though, dude. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not going to mention any of the some of the things we used to say to each other back in the day. But John absolutely had it right because, I mean, I... Craig saved my butt a few times. Uh, I needed an interview, and he was there, and he was always happy to help. You know, he's like going, "I don't have anything to say." I said, "Well, you'll find something," and he always did. And mm. we had so we had so many weird chats over the year about uh, years, different things. And I still remember the first time uh, I met him was on the Cebu line uh, on on the Cebu. It was on the either uh, take it back. The first time I met him was on the uh, JR Chuo line, and we we're going to Tokyo Dome. Uh-huh. And the Lions were playing. Uh, I think the, the Lions were playing the Marines uh, game at Tokyo Dome, and Craig said something like, "And there was another uh, guy, another hitter, and he says." You know how it is when you strike out three times in one game and you just keep doing it game after game and this other guy's looking at him like, no, never happened to me. He says, oh, man, it must happen to me like 20 times the, chain, the time I was chasing the, the AAA <laughs> home run to be – I was trying to be the AAA home run leader when I was with the Mets. Right. <laughs> and the other one, of course, which it relates to what he said was that, you know, we used to talk about him having a hole in his swing that was basically the middle of the strike zone. <laughs> I didn't ever realize that, but yes. But that's what, you know, that's what he said. I, I, you know, I remember I was at a game or went to a series because, you know, back then we used to go to series. <laughs> I kind of remember those days. Yeah, John, John, when John and I were both at the, at the Japan News and the, the DY, we had often weeks in the year where I'd cover a weekday series and one of us would cover a weekday series and one of us cover a weekend series. Oh, and the good old days. The good old days. <laughs> And I'm watching, okay, home run, you know, about 
three inches south of the strike zone and another home run over the strike <laughs> zone and a, a opposite field single about three inches inside and sort of like just all over the place. I'm saying, well, and he says, yeah, that was, you know, I've always been that, you know, bad ball hitter. And I says, well, well, you know, so I have vivid memories of that and, and the stuff with the lions and, and the stories he'd tell me. And it was always fun. And, and I, I just, I'm, I was, I was practically in tears listening to the interview. It brought back so many good memories. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, I, I do want to just say that I did look up the. I, I looked for the game he was talking about, and I never found one where he hit two home runs in one inning. Uh huh. And so I think the game, the the one game where he hit three home runs, he let off the second inning with a home run, and then. In the third inning, the Tigers didn't bat around, but they sent eight guys to the plate, and he was the sixth. And I think okay. he hit he home he and uh, he, Takahiro Arai hit a home run, and I think he came up right behind him and hit a home run, and that was his second. And then he came up in the fifth, and he hit a home run, and then he had a single. And uh, according to the the box score, he didn't come out for a pinch runner. So. If if that was it, then manager Wada was saying, "Look, you you got a new kid in the family. You know, when you're an old, when you're an old man, you know, you'll have someone to take care of you in your old age. So I'm going to make you run the bases." Right. <laughs> you got a kid? They'll take care of you. Get your butt out there. <laughs> well, uh, I guess there's two ways we can look it up. We can we can ask him when his son's birthday is and yeah then, <laughs> that well, the, date, the, the date i have was june 29th uh, 2010 so all right and we i and he, he was talking days. about alex ramirez too and the the funny thing is i looked up our the story on on my day from my day job that day when i was still at the yomiuri and uh, alex ramirez hit three home runs in the same day and they were both tied for the Central League home run lead. I think they, they both had 27 on that day. So Wow. Wow. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I think he, you know, he kind of snuck a little backdoor slider in there right at the beginning when I was talking about the games. And he said, yeah, people think we just show up and play a game. And I often talk about the mental preparation that it takes mm. to play pro- for professional sports. And I always say, yes, the physical part is demanding for sure it's grueling it it's taxing on the body but sometimes in my opinion because you know this is not a sport these guys are not playing Mm. (laughs) it is so there's so much chess going on out there that it's not even funny and when i talk to people who don't really know about baseball and they say yes i i think baseball is an interesting sport but it's boring and slow and i said well watch it with me and you know we'll talk about where we want to play the defense where you want what you want the batter to do? If there's a hitter on uh, runner on first, what do you want the hitter to do? And and I'll show you how fast the game, how lightning fast the game will be if you're thinking along. But if you're just watching to see what the outcomes is, are, are, then yeah, it might not be so fast. So the mental preparation that goes into all that, you know, uh, being ready for each day, and then. Like I said, something about it in the intro, I said the compete level. You also have to get yourself pumped up to play these games because you can't just show up and, and walk in there and, and not be uh, mentally ready to, to take on a challenge. And so all that discipline and strategy and thinking, I, I think that's what can wear you down. That's why I always, I mean, I do 
call these long-term players or long-time players compilers, but even that is an honor to, to do those things because, again, you have to be good enough to get out there and play all those years and get in the lineup and produce, and then it takes this mental this draining mental effort to do that for, you know, decades, like Motonobu Tanishige, the former base stars and Chunichi catcher. I'm, I'm just amazing, especially at that position where you've got to do more preparation and figure out how you're going to attack hitters and who, what pitchers you're going to be working with. Oh man, I can't believe they get time to sleep. <laughs> so yeah, it is. Well, so. I, you know, well, on that front, I, I think another thing that's occurred to me over the years in sort of the same line is that one one part of being a, a you know being a professional athlete is staying fit day in and day out you know regardless and oh year after year and being keeping you know that's a talent too to perform and stay fit is 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 a challenge yes but i'm going to step in and say you you've got help <laughs> oh sure, sure you do, but yeah, it, it's you know it's like you know he said it's a game of adjustments and it is, but it's a game of physical. It's sort of a, it's also a game of uh, fitness adjustments. You know you got to know, you know you got to know where the line is you don't cross. Yes, but you've got help. I mean, yeah, sure for instance, you, you and I we will go out and for me, you know, I. I think I reported recently that I had strained a calf and I've been off the running on outside courses and I'm trying to get build up on the treadmill and get back out there. But I don't have anybody testing me and say, OK, well, you were at this point here and uh, you're at this point now. We think it's safe for you to go out there. I just have to either try it or enough. not. And sure. they have they have a lot of help. It's not sure. like they're out there by themselves trying to contemplate whether they should play or not. They're getting tests. They're getting testing. They're getting advice. They're getting professionals. Uh, I mean, that's true. They have to do the work to, to stay in shape. But I think, again, when you see the other guys on your team working, I think and it, and it, it kind of inspires you to do the work as well. Unless you're, and there was a pitcher here in Japan who was the last to come and first to leave. <laughs> and I would see him <laughs> and talk to him. It was a foreign guy. And uh, but he got the job done. So <laughs> what can you say? But mm. I still think it's easy to get in and to stay in shape for those guys because there's such a support system around them. Well, you look at lots of people who can't do it. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people who who have there. You know, you know, there yeah, are guys. You know that well, there are guys who are better. Right. But there are guys who are better and more athletic. But. Uh, who are who are you know they're they're more skilled and they're more athletic, but they don't stay around long enough because their skills go in. You know, the things start falling apart for them faster. Sure. Uh, so, and then also the other thing is, you know, I was thinking about this with Shinya Miyamoto, the former Swallows uh, guy, who's was one of those players, a remarkable player that he played in the game. I mean, he started out as a kind of a utility infielder. You know, and he just stayed in the game forever, and yeah. and became and and you know just sort of like as he he just got kind of got better and better from experience as as he got along, and he actually became a, a fairly good hitter in his uh, in his late twenties and, and early thirties, which was uh, not 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 an obvious outcome. 
But the point was that, you know, you have to learn, you have to be able, you have to be smart enough to learn. Some guys aren't, I'll be honest. Some guys aren't. That is, that's not, that's not where they're going. Because, well, because it's not a game. So you can't just go out there and do everything physically. You've got to have a IQ for your sport and you have to apply it or else you're going to be out. (laughs) Yep. It takes, Um, takes everything. Yeah. And the other thing that I liked that he talked about was, again, consulting with the other groups of imports or other import players here. And the thing that I've noticed along the years is that this is a big community, too. So the other guys, they want to beat you when they're playing you, but they also hope that you succeed. And they'll do, uh, I wouldn't say they bend over backwards, but they certainly bend over a little bit to help you and help you adjust. And to hear the names he threw out, talking about Alex Ramirez being one of them that these guys are willing to assist each other and consult and genuinely work together to have success as a group. Uh, I always like hearing that. And it, 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 I don't know, it's, it's comforting to me. I don't know another word to describe it because you and I are part of that international community, the non-Japanese community that uh, when we see each other, we acknowledge, you know, our presence and, and we might keep walking, but we, you know, I see you, man. I, you know, I know your plight, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And they're helping each other out. So I, I like that. Yeah, well, I, I thought it was it was uh, touching that he mentioned, you know, two of the guys who so many people have have told me the same thing are Tuffy Rhodes and Alex Ramirez. So I would say the person who didn't get help or who weren't offered help, I nobody, not, nobody I know was not ho- offered help by one or both. Whether they got help or not is another issue. Right, right. But again, yeah, close knit and and willing to. And if there's not, you know, if there's someone who's not as willing or not as forthcoming with the information, there's always someone else. And mm-hmm. I think that all the guys stick together. So always fun. So Craig, thank you so much again for taking the time out. We appreciate it. And hope to have you back. And oh talk yeah. About some other in depth uh, tigers, uh, tiger stories. <laughs> All right, making a four-seam transition, it's time for the West Wing. So Michael West Bay is back with another segment on numerical insights into NPV. So the last time we talked about the first pitch because I brought it up mm. with Yusuke Oyama in mind, the Hanshin Tigers player who's slugging more of the home runs than I ever thought he would hit because <laughs> I always think he's he's sitting on pitches. But anyway, uh, Michael's come back with uh, second pitches. So I, I talked about the first pitch. Michael took a look at second pitches in a little bit more, so let's take a listen to the West Wing. Welcome back to the West Wing, the numerical support staff to Japan Baseball Weekly. I'm Michael Westbay. After the fun of seeing the results of making contact with the first pitch a couple of weeks ago, Jim wanted to explore what kinds of results came about when the batter either got a strike or a ball on the first pitch. I'll let him explain what he found and his methodology behind it when he's ready to announce his findings. But I went in a slightly different direction. While Jim wanted to know the ultimate fate of an at-bat that started with either a ball or a strike, I elected to look into what happened as a result of that second pitch. But first we need an overall picture to compare with. Well, since I'm not going to be seeing what happens beyond the second pitch, there will be no strikeouts or walks in the final analysis. So, let's limit ourselves to only results where the ball is put in play. Hmm, balls in play has a formal definition that actually excludes home runs. So, it's really the result of a batter making contact. I have also removed interference plays since the ball is dead at that point as well. 
article listing all of the 2022 data up to and including July 2nd results. The overall batting average when contact is made is around 300.29895 if you want to be precise to five decimal places, but let's just call it 300. 66% of the contacts resulted in out being recorded with the remainder split between sacrifice hits and reaching an error at about 3% and 1% respectively. Broken down by count, the best count for a batter was three balls and one strike, with batters hitting safely nearly 40% of the time. Interestingly, the worst count to make contact was three balls and no strikes, batters hitting safely less than 27% of the time. Hmm, let's put a pin in that for a future investigation. So, what is the most common outcome when a batter makes contact on the second pitch? Well, when the first pitch is a ball, the batter is 1.6% more likely to get a base hit on average and 3.2% less likely to hit into an out. When the first pitch is a strike and the batter makes contact on the second pitch, he is only half a percentage point less likely to get a base hit or another half a percentage point more likely to hit into an out. In other words, when the pitcher throws a strike for the first pitch, the outcome is pretty much the same making contact on the second pitch as it is in all pitch combinations. But what was most interesting in my findings is that the percentage of successful sacrifice bunts goes up 2% when the first pitch is a ball and 1% when it's a strike. That suggests that sacrificing earlier in the count is better for the offense. On defense, the change in errors committed in the field on the second pitch compared to the overall was a bit of an improvement. That is, less errors committed by less than half a percent. I'm going to call that better for fielders, but not nearly as significant as an improvement in sacrificing earlier in the count. Well... That's it for this week. I look forward to hearing what Jim has to say happens after the second pitch. Until next time, take care, all. All right, Michael. Yeah, no surprise that uh, 3-1 counts result in pitchers experience damage to their uh, offerings up there. But uh, I do find the fact that 3-0 counts not ending in positive outcomes for batters, that that was kind of weird. And he said we're going to stick a pin in that, so we'll be back sometime later with that. But uh, what'd you think? Well, I thought that was interesting. Michael took it, um, you know, going on about, I thought the sacrifice stuff was interesting. And I, and uh, I, I liked, I liked his approach. Now we, we started essentially we, he and I started talking about, you know, John wanted the first pitch and I wanted to know because of a story I'd read in the States, I wanted to know about the one the difference in one Oh and a one counts. And, and then, and he took it, and Michael took it his way, which is 100% uh, his right to do. So, and I enjoyed that. And thank you for that, Michael. Um, I'll just say, uh, as I, you know, I, I pull up my data here that the average I have on on balls, including home runs, on three one pitches is 347. Okay. And, and then for three zero counts. And for three zero counts, it's 333. So and actually, it's pretty high. Yeah. It is still pretty high, but it's not as high. And, but the three O counts, what the three O counts give you is a slugging average. They lead all counts with a 640, six slugging average. 
which is pretty hefty. So there, for example, these numbers are through uh, Saturday. Mm -hmm. And there have been 16 hits uh, through Saturday on 3-0 pitches. And six of them were doubles and three were home runs. Just 16 among all the 12 teams? Yeah, 48 at-bats on th put in play on 3-0 pitches this year. Okay. There's 475 plate appearances that end in three that end in a 3-0 count. But 424 of them are walks. <laughs> okay. So 40, they don't count. Gotcha. Yeah, so they don't count. So there's only 48 ball, there's only 48 at bats all okay. season. Okay. And 16 of them are hits for a 333 gotcha. average. Three home but runs. but six doubles and three home runs for a 646 slugging average, which is the highest. Um, among all the counts. And the other one, which was kind of interesting uh, for me, since we're staying on the subject, is that the lowest average is not is on an 0-2 count. Actually, that's not a surprise. 0-2 count should be the lowest average. It's 155, so there you go. And it's no surprise. <laughs> that's not really a surprise. I think the surprise is that the 3-1 counts and 2-0 counts uh, have a better uh, chance for a hit in play than... 3 counts. Yeah, and my thing about 3-0 counts is that it's basically centered around the fact that batters become over-aggressive, especially mm -hmm. here in Japan. If they're allowed to swing, they, they're not having the discipline to force the pitcher to throw the strikes to get them out if they need to throw three strikes. Mm -hmm. That they, get, they take a strike. They're always willing to take that 3-1 strike, but it seems like they get really aggressive after that. So I, I think that if a guy sees a strike coming with a 3-0 count, he's swinging. They just get into swing mode. And sometimes these pitchers execute some really good 3-1 pitches in Japan. I, I notice they them. They're, they they mm -hmm. are really good. Now, some of them, I think we I, I think back to the time when you talked about umpires being hesitant to call strike three a long time ago, earlier in our podcast mm. years. I think sometimes they're hesitant to call four pitch walks unless the ball is really. Way oh, I think uh, I think hundred percent right. I think they're right. I think yeah, they're, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah I've three, seen some borderline pitches, and they just go for. And I'm like, well, that looked like ball four, and you know, in Japan, they don't start walking the first generally uh, until the umpire no. says something. Yeah, three zero pitch, three zero yeah. pitch. If it's not like well inside the strike zone, it's pretty much going to be a ball, and or if the catcher's glove has to move even a little bit. Yeah, it's going to be a ball. Nobody's yeah. and and of course no catchers holding the glove down the middle anyway on a three zero pitch. So so forget that. So yeah, yeah. but real interesting stuff. Really really fun to mm. look at the numbers. And Michael did a good job. Thank you very yep. much, Michael. Thank Westbrook. you, Michael. All right, making a two seam transition. Koji Chikamoto, the man. <laughs> we had a hitting streak. We'll just skip all the stuff that happened last week. We will just pretend that that won't. Yeah, happen. let's talk about Chikamoto. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about him. So his 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 hitting streak ended uh, with him tied with Matt Merton for the franchise record thirty consecutive games. He failed to get a hit against Drew Anderson and the Carp on Thursday night at home. So two things I thought were significant uh, about this: the Carp pitched to him, that which was number one. And remember, we've seen. In the old days, let's call it, that teams, especially when the Carp have, you know, the, the player who has the Japan record for hits in consecutive games at 33, 
was this Yoshihiko Takahashi was uh, a former carp player. And here they were playing the carp with a chance to basically even the record. Uh, and he did not get it. Uh, he, but they did pitch to him. I was impressed about And especially in the ninth inning, when Chikamoto came up for his last at bat, they threw pitches in the zone. And he had his opportunity. He didn't get a hit. And he missed them. And um, I think that's all you can ask for is, is fair play and an opportunity. And, and he got it. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. Although I think the thing about of being a former carp player is not as big as if like in the cases we've seen before, you know, the famous cases we've seen before yeah. when the guy was the manager. Agree. Yes. When yeah. was the Hall Agreed. of Fame manager, and the coaches were the coaches were lecturing the pitchers, "Don't you <laughs> dare throw a strike." Agreed, and, but I think sometimes there's a tendency to want to protect your own, and this. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that's they, the they, whole. They probably that's a whole. would have pushed, but they they wanted to win the game, and they were the Carp were winning, so I don't think uh, it was that big a deal. Had they, I think, had the score been tied, mm-hmm. uh, or the situation been a little bit different that we could have seen something else happen, but it, you know, I was glad that it happened the way it happened. And, uh, yeah. they gave him an opportunity to, to hit. Now, he sure. Did, give him a, give him a shot. They're all rooting for him, including, including Matt Merton. Uh, I was setting up an interview with him and he said, well, let's talk after, uh, the weekend because Chikamoto will have, you know, passed the, the hit record. So I said, fine, that sounds great. And, um, unfortunately Chikamoto didn't get there, but, uh, it was fun. Now, I did see some comments from Shikamoto after the game. I'm not sure if you are aware. I did of not see said. them. No, I didn't see them. I've been kind of I've been kind of zoned out the last couple of days. So, yeah. Well, it happens. <laughs> I was zoned out. Yeah, zoned out too. So he said uh, after uh, apparently after the game, and I got this off ProYaku News because that's that's what my major source is uh, when it gets busy, and it was busy this past week. But he said, I couldn't do the things I was hoping to do, so I was hoping the streak would stop. In each game, after I would get a hit, I would shift to doing the things that I wanted to do in the following at-bats. And so I think he's speaking a little bit of code here, basically saying he, he wasn't batting for the team anymore. He was batting for himself. He was trying to get a hit instead of just trying to move a runner over or trying to get a hit instead of uh, trying to pull the ball to a specific zone so that he could do something. I mean, there's different ways of approaching. And, and if there's runners on base, the coaches want you to do, the coaches and managers want you to do specific things, uh, hit to certain areas, especially if they're, they're going to put a play on and uh, get the runners in motion. They want you to hit maybe the ball the other way, hit it, you know, at the hole and shortstop, whatever the, the case might be. He wasn't batting for the team anymore. He was batting for himself. And uh, as much as we would love to believe it, I don't think, especially when you have situations, a runner at third and and fewer than two outs, guys are trying to get that run home. And maybe he wasn't trying to get the run home late in the game. He was trying to get the hit to keep the hitting streak going. Uh, and so it's just different. And so it I is. think that's what he's talking about. And he couldn't come out and say it, obviously. But remember, we talked a long time ago. I did this interview with uh, Yota Kyoda of the Chunichi Dragons. And he said, basically, batting second, he had so much to think about. It was a distraction to bat that high in the lineup. He just wanted to go up, up there and hit. 
And you get a real good idea when guys tell you that they're real open and candid and tell you about those things, because now, you know, there's so much going on in a batter's head and not just watching, the, yeah, especially if there was a runner on, for goodness sake, especially a team like Chunichi at the time, you had a speedy Yohei Oshima at the top of the lineup. And if he's batting second and Oshima's on base, then they're definitely doing something. Whether it's Oshima, he has to wait for Oshima to try to steal. They're going to play hit and run, run and hit. He's going to have to bunt. Uh, they want him to hit in another spot. So, yeah, I, th- I just think it was a lot going on there. And now Chikamoto could just get back to his regular game and, and not worry about trying to get a hit every time. Mm. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And I want to mention another thing, a kind of a, a take an offshoot from that is, uh, you mentioned Matt Martin, and he, and he had this thing when he was approaching the Japan uh, hit record, and it was uh, about 120. He was like right on the edge of of setting, you know, of, of passing 200 hits, like 125 games, and he was closing in on it. And he did, you know, he was he's only the he was only the second player to to get 200 hits in 130 or fewer games. Other guys got 200 after they increased the length of the season. Ichiro Suzuki was the first to do it, and Matt Merton was the second. Right. And, but when he got close to his hit record, he was required to get a hit. He was required for the, you know, the pride of the Hanshin Tigers in his, in his mind. Everybody wishing him well, everybody cheering him on, everybody, we got your back. He felt like, he had this marvelous season, but if he didn't set the record, he was going to be a failure. Right. And I think there's some of that too, because when people start talking about your record and you play for a team, you know, as, as Craig said, if you play for the Giants or the Hanshin Tigers, it's not like it's, it's, it can be palpable. You know, yeah. it's like when the, when the Giants had their, record losing streak i mean the, the 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 coaches were fine the manager was fine the players were all hanging in there but the tension the tension from the the team's top management was you know you can cut it with a knife right right and right. so that's a, that's a thing and i i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if one reason he's glad it ended was because it keeps me from, you know, just being myself. It keeps me from doing, you know, being the hitter I want to be. You know, uh, you know, approaching, approaching uh, at bats the way I want to do. Of course, the the next day he came back and he hit a home run, and he drew a bases loaded walk, which is, you know, he he couldn't, you can't be drawn. That's another thing. You're not up there to draw walks and get on base when you got a hit streak because right, you want to yeah. waste your opportunity. I mean, that's a that's a that's a perfect example. You know, you're not, you're there to hit your way on. None of that, none of that walks, you know, that walks are for sissy stuff. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, but a good, still a good long run. And yeah, I, I'll talk about this next week, but th- these, these streaks can kind of sneak up on you because once a guy actually gets to 20, you know, that's essentially the equivalent of a guy in the big leagues getting to about 40 because now you really have to start paying attention. Uh, the media has to ask questions, silly questions, I admit. Uh, but they have to be asked, I suppose, after these games. And 
it just becomes a more bigger media focus. But uh, I think the cycle, as you would say, is a, is a lot quicker in Japan because once you get to 20, people start to pay attention. Then uh, as you're approaching 30, then maybe you start to get media attention and a lot more questions. But I think passing 30 has to be a, a big deal. Mm. <laughs> and uh, he stopped right at 30. And I think everybody was watching. So he stopped right at the point where I think everybody was trying to think, oh, uh, we got to watch and see what Shikamoto is doing. When, when's he coming up? And and uh, that game was was a quick game, and it was a really good game. It was a tight game, and uh, the end came fairly early. Uh, and he just ran back to the dugout. And you know, when he said those comments, might might not. I don't know how much he's exaggerating, but I he, he did look like he was disappointed that the streak was over. Um, but I think that could just be disappointment that he didn't get a hit in an at-bat in which he probably wanted to get a hit <laughs> mm, you know, and try to help the team because they were behind. So, But congratulations to him. Mm. Uh, he did tie Matt Merton's uh, franchise record, and that's something. And I think he'll be back. I think we'll see him back again because uh, he is a good hitter. Oh, yeah. We got one note this week, and that was this past week, Takaya Okawari-kun Nakamura fan. And this was on Wednesday for the 1,965th time in his 19-plus seasons and that surpassed Kazuhiro Kiyohara for most all time in NPB and our buddy Glenn who often <laughs> writes uh regularly writes us questions uh and is a loyal listener for many years one time uh, long ago talked about the fact that every March before the season starts he goes out and buys his guidebook for the season and uh in the back it has Kiyohara listed as the all-time strikeouts leader in NPV, and that will be replaced after this year with uh, a guy who's much, he played basically for the same team, uh, except Nakamura has played there all his career. Kiyohara moved around late in his in his uh, playing days, but uh, his name will be erased by, by a guy who's probably a little bit more popular now. Kiyohara was probably this, you know, of course, I, I, I I know that he was a very popular figure, but after the drug situation that he had, we haven't seen much much of him or too much of him on TV these past what five, six, seven years. So, uh, and that's probably a good thing. Well, he's, <laughs> he's busy. Not the most likable character. <laughs> well, he's busy actually uh, rehabilitating himself uh, through the ages of his former uh, PL Gakuen fellow alumni. People mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, like at the Dragons, uh, Kazuyoshi Tatsun- Tatsunami and uh, Atsushi Kataoka, mm-hmm. who were teammates there. Not, not, not Kyohara's teammates a few years, about three years after him. But, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to help him and he's, you know, he, NPV's doing their best. His, uh, his career, his Hall of Fame uh, bid right now He's a, he's a certainly a surefire Hall of Fame in terms of his playing ability, but he's not on the ballot because if he goes back on the ballot and he doesn't get 2.5%, which is possible at the moment, then he's wiped out and he has to wait like another seven or eight years. Okay. All right. So that's well, where he is. Um, I, think, I, think, I actually think the people having him in mind with the all-time strikeout leader Mm-hmm. And MPB was was one of the things that I think certainly uh, fans who are not or, or baseball followers who are not fans of the Lions mm-hmm. 
probably didn't give him, you know, they thought, oh, you know, he, he was really good, but he struck out so much and they, they probably had a different image of him. I think fans who are non-Lions fans out there probably think that, you know, he wasn't as good. I mean, he was so good as a rookie. He was so good from the start. He exhibited so much power, Kiyohara did. Mm. But conversely, I think Nakamura has been, he's been such a lovable character, such a lovable, big, goofy kind of guy. I think he gets a pass. I, I think, think he does too. Think, yeah, I don't think anybody thinks about him uh, and going to say, "Well, he did have, he did lead the MPB, you know, all-time strikeouts leader and all that stuff." But uh, I think there's going to be a lot of that, and I think he gets a big-time pass. And oh yeah, uh, yeah. Well, well Kiyohara, the the thing about Kiyohara, it, it really when he was playing, of course, it was never the drugs because that wasn't a thing. Although. Uh, I I kind, of, I kind of, I'll be honest. I suspected he was on steroids. Uh, he was on, you know, he was bulking up with the help of steroids, sort of later in his t- time with the Giants. Yeah, but, you mentioned that. You mentioned that on the show a long right. time ago. <laughs> so I, so I think so. But, but anyway, what was really dogging him was the fact that he never won a home run title. And he never led a league in home runs. He never led a league in RBIs. And that was sort of the thing. You know, here's this great player, but he never did that. He was always close. I mean, he led the league, I think, in walks once, and he led in on-base percentage a few times, and he led in runs scored. But as we've observed in the past, no, if you're on it, those are things that people don't really talk about, you know, in, <laughs> in the hall. You know, those are things that important people don't talk about on TV. You know, they save that for the blogs and podcasts. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I'm looking at, at uh, Nakamura and I'm thinking, because I, I said it when I saw him come up with, I loved his hands. And one of the scouts I used to hang out with said, you know, this guy's got really quick hands. Watch them. And you can see him, especially some of the swings he takes. You can see him make adjustments mid-swing. He's not doing that as much anymore. He's He's older. He's not having the success you'd like to see him go out with. But none of these guys, especially at his weight or his body type, usually do. And I think it's remarkable that he has hung on and is still productive Mm. um, at that weight uh, at this age. So he's doing well. And I hope he plays a couple more seasons. And, you know, we we do know that he's mostly DHing anyway. So uh, he could probably hang around and and do that. Like I said, I like old... Old uh, hitters don't go away. Old relievers do. <laughs> when I, the last thing about Taki Nakamura, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, we had Carlos Mirabal on our, our show a few weeks ago. John had him on, and he was uh, uh, he notched career strikeout number one against Taki Nakamura back in two thousand in I think September September two thousand three. It was the only <laughs> the only game he ever faced him, and he, he gave up a double and struck him out. Huh. All right, Carlos. Yeah, and we did see Carlos uh, pitching. I don't know what that was, but he looked good. <laughs> he saw pitching on Twitter. All right, let's go to fielding questions. All right, so the aforementioned, our buddy Glenn uh, in Tokyo sent us an email, and he says, Hey, John, and he spelled my name J-O-N. Glenn. Ooh. I do not spell your name G-L-E-N. So, hey, man, give me a break here. (laughs) Hashtag hi. (laughs) He says, hey, John and Jim, really enjoyed hearing Mark Simon on the show. Any chance you will also get Eric Carabell sometime? Hmm. (laughs) That's an idea. I will try. He says, a question for you both. What's the MPB obsession with head sliding into first? 
Now, I remember Wayne Grosick writing about the danger of injury with this in 2015 and an MLB.com article on it a few years ago pointing out the fact that runners actually slow down to dive. Is it actually encouraged by NPB coaches? Wanted to get your thoughts. Cheers, Glenn. All right. So, Jim. I actually think we had we had a similar question uh, about this. Yeah, this yeah, we had a sim- back before before Glenn was listening. This was back. Yeah, in this would have this yeah. would have been when this would have been when Norifumi Nishimura was manager of the Cebu Lions because he was one of the guys I asked, and I said, okay. "Do you encourage it?" He says, "I don't. I don't believe it. People do it because they do it, but I tried to discourage it because of the risk of injury. You know, of you know, injuring your fingers having somebody step on it." Mm-hmm. Is 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 well, not worth specifically first? I, I, usually, you don't have to worry about that. I guess it depends, but I would no, say but I, but yeah. Well, he said he that. said I think it's I don't think it's a it's a it's a real thing. I don't think it helps you in the speed, but some people do it because it's kind of their brand, and of course, you know who loves it is the announcers. The announcers, <laughs> it's it's like. You know, he's, you know, he beat the throw at first. He went belly flopping into first. What a great play. You know, he's showing his guts. <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. That's, that's, that's who it gets excited. And I think, I think that rubs off on some young, you know, young kids playing the game. That sort of excitement. They, they, I don't know if that's a thing, but uh, some people sure get in on it because the announcers go, um, they need, they need uh, mops after guys do Whoa. slide into it first because there's Whoa. a little, there's a little, there's a little, uh, precious bodily fluid. Hey, puddle boy. <laughs> Stop drooling. Clean up, on, clean up on aisle on aisle announcer. Yeah. I, I, I really consider it. The same as one of my favorite NBA personalities, uh, that's Mark Jackson. He describes some aspects of basketball plays that he calls it fake hustle. Mm. And I think that's the perfect way to describe this thing because it looks like you're really trying. But I think, I and we had this, when we did have this question on the show back in the day, I said, look, uh, there's a distinct sound that a foot or cleat makes hitting the bag versus a ball hitting the glove. And I think a lot of times when runners know they're going to be out or it's really going to be close, the option they have is to create a cloud of dust so that the umpire can't see when they actually touch the bag. And uh, they get there and there's no sound to help the umpire. So the umpire actually has to watch and, and they're confused and they rule them safe. That's what they're hoping. But again, I really think it's fake hustle, uh, the actual act of dragging the body along the ground uh, instead of even you know moving through the air on your feet, but even flying through the air. If they were just to dive onto the bag would slow them down because you have to go downward to do it. <laughs> so if you just run through the bag, you get there a lot faster. The physics say uh, your momentum would slow down if you're dragging your body along the dirt. I don't know why. I don't know about coaching it. I don't think that they have, like I said, the, the fake hustle thing is a, is a thing in that it looks like you're doing stuff. Uh, the, like Jim said, the announcers love it, but 
Yeah, it's also for the fans. You know, people say, well, that, at least he's hustling. So uh, I think there's a third party involved there. You know, it's it's also the fans uh, that are trying to please them. But look, I guess the umpire might be more inclined to make a mistake because he really can't see and he doesn't have that the sound effects in the back to help him as well. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I don't know why they do it. I, I, I really wish they'd stop. I don't know how to get him to stop. And, and you asked the mm-hmm. manager and he said he's against it and the players are still doing it. I, I think maybe we got to start at, at the high school level and just have them outlawed. And then you do that, mm-hmm. you won't have a problem. That's interesting. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, I like because, that. Because, you know, we've, we've got – I mean, of course it was – we don't want the catchers blocking a path to mm-hmm. home plate. Well, they haven't called that rule now in three – I mean, I saw a catcher just about squatting on the plate the other day, not giving a runner any room to uh, – any path to get to the base, and they didn't call it. You know, and I thought well, – But on the other hand, I've seen a lot of close plays, and I – sometimes I get, hold on a second, let me see that on – and they're going to show it on the replay, and I'm going, wow, that's actually – you know, that's like – so often the guy's just making a really good tag. I mean, he's like he's not obstructing the base. He's just waiting. Oh, there yeah. and bam! And I'm thinking, wow, really? Yeah, and I think how much better is this than it used to be? And and somebody, you know, and, and what reminded me of that? And I'm completely off topic here, but somebody posted it. What's new? <laughs> I know what's new, indeed. What do you mean about on topic? What is this? Who, who do you think you're talking to? Okay, so somebody posted on Twitter the worst send. In MLB history, the guy was out at home plate by about 10 feet. You know, the catcher had the ball waiting for him (laughs) easily. And I was thinking, if this had happened 10 years ago, nobody would have said bad send. They would have said, bowl the catcher over. That's your job. Knock him, you know, separate him from his his dentures. And and because that's what you were supposed to do. How old is this you talking about here? <laughs> okay, his uh, his his implants. <laughs> that's that's a new thing. Implants, not right? hockey. No. <laughs> Apparently, this catcher's been bowled over a number of times. <laughs> He's a tomato can catcher. <laughs> can of corn, probably. Okay. So yeah, yeah, I agree. They're they have they're coaching it better. The but I, I haven't seen sides. it though. So interesting. I hadn't. I haven't. I. I don't look as carefully as you do. Um, I'm more likely just to, to miss it and just move on unless it's a play that catches my attention. So yeah. But I. I mean, I, that interested me. I had thought that I've seen some plays and I thought, wow, that looks like oh. And then I looked on second thought and I go, no, no, that looked good. Well, there were a couple of plays this weekend. One involving I think the Giants. One involving the Lions and. I think the Lions one was the one uh, in particular where the catcher gave a, a path mm-hmm. and the runner was able to get in and he wasn't able to tag him because he wasn't set up, you know, right on the line. Mm. The catcher wasn't. So he wasn't able to get the tag on, even though the ball got there first. And I think with the Giants, I think it ended up being as I, I was talking with Michael Westbay at the time. And I said, well, you know what? There's no. They called him this way. There's no evidence. There's no video evidence to clearly support uh, overturning it. So I think they just have to go with it, and they, and they did. And the Bay Stars got the run, and they ended up winning the game. Bay Stars had a really good weekend series with the Giants, and that was good. But uh, good for them and their fans for sure. But you know these these calls uh, at any base. Uh, the only reason you're sliding 
at the other bases is because you have to stay on them. Or at home plate, you have to get around a catcher who's trying to tag you out or the run, you know, you won't get the run home. But the other bases, basically, you're, you don't really need to dive in head first. You're just doing it because the play is going to be close and they have to tag you. And you don't you want to give them a big piece of your body to tag. That's a lot of the reason why you're sliding and you can't go past the bag anyway. So it's harder to stop when you're standing up at first base. Just run through the bag, people. So, yeah, I, I thought about that before. Just outline it at the high school level and then work the way, work your way up like through uh, college and corporate leagues and independent leagues and then to NPB and then it'll be done. And uh, we'll, I still think we'll see some clowns <laughs> doing it. <laughs> but uh, I think once, once you grandfather it in and, and do it when the players are young and they stop doing it in the first place, it won't become a habit especially with young speedy guys who we've seen a lot of these slap hitters who come up and say, well, you know, I'd like, you know, one of my greatest uh, facets of my game is my speed. So I want to show off my speed. And I'm like, I I know what that means. A lot of diving into first. (laughs) Mm. Well, just wait, as uh, you know, the curmudgeon coral come out and say, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with the game? People aren't sliding head first into first base anymore. (laughs) I tell you, I, I would think the umpires would appreciate it, to be honest, because now they have that sound back, and that helps them out making calls. They, they've been making some really bad calls. This is they a need, bad they need that because it's been a bad with, season for MPB umpires. It, ha- it has been because it seems like they're they're almost lining up to take a view of the base behind the fielder. Yeah, <laughs> it's like if I were calling balls and strikes, I'd be behind the catcher, right? So if, if I'm going to call a ball second base, I'm going to be behind. Then I'm going to let the fielder be between me and the base and the runner. Yeah, I'm out of position. <laughs> Can you a step aside that. there for me, son? It's <laughs> like all right. Well, we're we're going to step aside, and we will talk to you next week. Anyone who has a question or comment, hit us up on Twitter at JBW Podcast with the hashtag High Heat. Send questions via email like Glenn did. Or Glenn said he's going to send us an MP3, I think. So we're going to expect that next time, Glenn. Uh, y, especially because you spelled my name wrong. You owe me. Uh, Y-A-K-Y-U-J-O-H-N at gmail.com is the address there. You can hit us up on the Facebook page and leave a comment. Look for us on Google Podcasts and iTunes. We will talk to you next week. Enjoy your baseball. See you at the ballparks. Follow the hosts on Twitter at JBW Podcast and at JBallAllen. Submit your questions with hashtag HighHeat and listen for an answer in an upcoming episode.